Diversity and Inclusion On Air podcast. The podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. This podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Lisa Greenhill, and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. So on today's episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air, I am delighted to welcome Dr. Luana Nan from Purdue University's College of Veterinary Medicine. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. So today, Luana and I are going to be talking about wellness issues and diversity specifically, and kind of what are some of the maybe specific or unique issues related to wellness through a diversity lens. So um, as is our custom, I'd like to uh, invite Dr. Luana Nan to introduce herself and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm a psychologist serving the students, interns, and residents here at uh, Purdue College of Veterinary Medicine. I started working here about five years and a half ago. Before then, I uh, worked at different counseling centers. I always loved, actually, since I graduated from, um, I graduated from the College of Counseling Psychology at University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana with a PhD in counseling psychology. And since then, I worked at different uh, counseling centers. I love working with students. And I'm really excited to have now an opportunity to work very closely with a particular group of students. This really gives me a great opportunity to have a closer, deeper understanding of their experience, of their culture, academic culture, professional culture, and also to have a different kind of impact that uh, is more, takes context more into consideration. Sure. So are you based specifically within the College of Veterinary Medicine at Purdue? Yes. Yes, I'm an embedded counselor and I work here full time. Okay, awesome. And are you the only counselor that they have there or do you have other, do you have colleagues that work with you? No, I don't. I, I am the only one hired uh, for now. And uh, But we're looking into uh, hiring a veterinary social worker soon. And I'm really, really excited about that. Great. All right. Wonderful. So let's dive in. So the veterinary community has been doing a really great job the last couple of years of of kind of exploring issues related to wellness, specifically with respect to students, but also faculty as well as clients and kind of some of the things that, that folks are exposed to in the clinical setting. And certainly we've been working on diversity for a really long time. And so I think that the, the profession has certainly done a lot to bring attention to both of these issues separately, but is there a place for us to really kind of talk about these things together? (laughs) Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that they're intrinsically connected and, and actually overlap a great deal. We, I don't think we can talk about uh, wellness without talking about connection with others, a healthy social environment, uh, without enrichment in um, uh, one's own understanding of the diversity of the world and diversities of ideas and ways of being. And I think it's, it's a, a, a crucial part of, of wellness and well-being. Sure, sure. So, so what are some of the things our colleagues should know about 
mental health and wellness issues, particularly for marginalized or underrepresented populations within the vet school community? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can, I'm happy to share uh, my perspective from my sure. own experience. Um, I would say that a very common theme, uh, common issue that, that I hear is about belonging. Mm-hmm. I think this tends to be an important challenge for uh, students who are uh, coming from marginalized, underrepresented communities. And what I mean by that is really feeling um, like they're uh, integrated in, um, in the school, in their class. And um, I, I, that can be a bumpy road at times. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I read recently a book by Brene Brown, uh, Braving the Wilderness. It's a very yeah. great book. And I want to say that uh, she talks about the difference between fitting in and belonging. Mm. And I love how she expresses this difference. She says, uh, fitting in, you fit in uh, when others accept you for being the way they are. And belonging is about being accepted for who you are. Oh, wow. And I think that, you know, this is a a really complex kind of journey, you know, I think too often the goal is to fit in, you know, or maybe the expectation is that this is maybe the best that could be reached to fit in Uh, when, you know, it's belonging that really supports one's wellness and one's well-being. Sure, sure. Um, So I think this is a really important theme. For, for students coming you know, uh, from these communities, from marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. We are all aware that um, a common experience, especially first year, although I would say throughout vet school, because you know, every year brings its own unique challenges, students are struggling with imposter syndrome. And I think that for students in, um, for underrepresented marginalized uh, students are this uh, imposter syndrome, it's... Um, it's experienced with a different degree of intensity mm-hmm. because it's really about intersection of multiple factors here. You know, if you're stepping into a culture where uh, that you might experience is very different from yourself or having in very few individuals that look like you or represent the values and, and, you know, that you embrace, I think that's likely to make that imposter syndrome more intense, you know, more challenging. I, I think it's very much easier to go to that place where you wonder, do I really belong here? Yeah. You know? yeah. And uh, I think this is also at times, you know, exacerbated by the fact that, um, you know, quite a few of these students don't have the support network of other students. Mm. And that includes, you know, support, like local support network, like school, college, also sometimes at home, because, you know, some of them come from families where, you know, people are not aware of, uh, you know, the challenges of of vet school or, you know, professional school in general. And that makes it even hard to navigate different, uh, their multiple roles. Sure, sure. Imagine it's, it must be, it, it is challenging. Um, we just did a, a climate survey last year and we did find that there's, you know, a, a, a fair amount of, of veterinary students who report not feeling like they have that kind of supportive group of, of student colleagues that, that they can go to um, and, and just kind of talk and, and have shared experience with. But I think that the other piece that you mentioned about the imposter syndrome is kind of not only 
you know, do students who may not see many other people like themselves there kind of wonder, should I be here? But they also may feel the burden of, and and what happens if I'm not successful, they may never give another one of us a chance, right? And so there's kind of this, do I belong here? Or do I really, um, have I really arrived here? But also, what does it mean if I am not successful, whatever, however we're defining success. Right. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad that you're mentioning this, how we define success. Because I think like everything else is, uh, it's, a, it's a cultural definition, like it's, it's culturally defined, right? What success looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. What uh, to be a professional is about, that's culturally defined, right? right? And I'm not sure that we always realize this. So what are some of the maybe cultural challenges, i.e. are certain, do certain groups, and and I recognize that we might spill over into potentially stereotypical (laughs) kind of landscape, broad statements, but, you know, what about taboos around seeking mental health or counseling services or just being able to ask for help? What are, what are some of those challenges that maybe you've come across in your practices? Well, I think it's it's at least uh, a twofold. One, yes, I do recognize that um, there is often a stigma, still stigma associated with uh, counseling, uh, mental health related services, and um, and I hope that you know having now you know many schools have an embedded counselor. I think you know who is more visible, who uh, has a chance to show the humanness, you know, the 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 human the person behind the role. I think this could um, and also the opportunity to have multiple conversations to demystify this notion of counseling. I think this can be helpful. But it is that that stigma is still there associated with us and what it means to go, you know, see a counselor. And I think another part of this important part of that, well, I should say something else about stigma. Unfortunately, there's also a professional culture related stigma. Mm-hmm. You know, it just so happens that the veterinary profession, I think, tends to associate the stigma to not uh, not only stigma to mental health services, but, you know, there's still quite prevalent this view that, again, you know, the professional, the uh, veterinarian is always someone who only experiences a certain set of emotions, <laughs> never seeks help, uh, is the one always giving help and, and having everything together, not having any challenges, because that's oftentimes perceived as weakness. Mm. To be vulnerable is perceived as weakness. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm, I, I think this only kind of deepens the preconceived notion that some of the students may come in to begin with. Another aspect is related to trust. I think there's still more work to be done in that regard to have students um, from especially underrepresented students trust the system and trust uh, the college and trust uh, the counseling services. I mean, we're all aware of, of the history. We're, and unfortunately, I mean, recent history and, and current you know, events and everything else, I think that really challenges trust. So I, I think, and, and uh, speaking of this, an, another theme that I, I hear often is related to 
this this impression that um, the the diversity efforts are focused very much on numbers and not so much on actually uh, on inclusion and integration. Yeah. And that, of course, is related to trust as well, right? Absolutely. I mean, you've hit on uh, such an important point in, in why AAVMC does have, you know, some efforts related to helping our colleges understand the importance of climate, right? As well as kind of the, the hidden curriculum and how students are learning to engage one another. But also, you know, if you say that these things and diversity and inclusion are your core values at an institution, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, that doesn't just mean kind of representative or structural diversity, but also looking at, you know, kind of what kinds of programs do you have? What kinds of speakers do you invite to campus? What kinds of, of content um, do you promote? And really kind of helping people feel again, like you said at the top of the show, that they belong here, that they're a part of the the college's community and that the college's family. And and how do you um, reinforce that and and help to build a culture of mutual trust? I think that it's particularly challenging currently because there are so many things in the news as we're recording this um, show. We just, you know, there was just news earlier this week of a student at Yale who fell asleep and, um, you know, was woke up to be confronted by police because someone wasn't sure that they, air quote, belonged in their dorm. And kind of what are the lasting impacts of that when you're potentially the lonely only <laughs> and an event has occurred and, and that questions your belonging. So, so what are some of the structural changes? You mentioned um, that at your institution, Purdue University, you're hoping to bring on a social worker. I'm assuming that that's because there's uh, more work <laughs> than, than you alone can handle. Um, so what are some of, I guess, the institutional challenges to helping to create a culture of belonging and inclusion and um, trust where every student, regardless of background, feels that they can actually seek out assistance? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that a part of this is about access. I mean, I think, I think it's great uh, that more and more schools have their own counselor, uh, on-site counselor. I would say though that there's still more work to be done in terms of access. You know, the program, the program demands and the schedule continues to be very, very, very heavy for students and, and allowing with for very little time to take care of oneself or to address issues and you know to stop and reflect and acknowledge or, you know, uh, or even stop to be, take care of some uh, other things that are going in a, the student's personal life. So I think um, you know, there's something about the program, too, that, you know, will need to probably change in time to honor these uh, other aspects of, of students' life. And I think another very important factor, maybe even more important, is about the community, the, uh, you know, professionals, uh, faculty and staff. I think there's more work that needs to be done in terms of education, training, to deepen cultural understanding, and also build 
uh, more sophisticated skills in, in, in how to address challenging conversations or challenging issues. I think there's still more to, to learn in that regard. Sure. I mean, I do think that there's, um, I think that we're starting to see how how cross-cultural communication can really potentially break down um, in the in the veterinary setting. I think that, you know, there's certainly been a lot of work done in human healthcare on this issue. Um, and, and there's a lot of opportunities for us to learn from that. Um, but we're starting to kind of see some of those those things that, I mean, and even when we talk about, you know, issues around kind of malpractice, it's usually not really so much about the medicine. It's really about communication and and kind of challenges around communication, whether it's a, a cultural nuanced issue or not, communication and kind of understanding and the ability to develop kind of interpersonal empathy. I think that this is a profession that shows an enormous amount of empathy for their patients <laughs> who have multiple legs, um, but, <laughs> but that there's some room for um, greater knowledge and learning and awareness around the, the empathetic needs for the interpersonal. So what might some of the, um, the I guess, diversity disparities, mental health disparities, kind of how, how do you see that potentially manifesting in the college environment? One aspect I already mentioned, I would say that the way in which adjustment to vet school and you know the imposter syndrome that is kind of carried mm-hmm. you know, throughout a college career has uh, multiple layers to it, and it's more complex. I see, like I mentioned, a limited support network mm-hmm. that um, is definitely contributing to the difficulties, uh, it's much harder to cope with with psychological challenges or with, you know, with, to cope with uh, grief, to cope with loss, to cope with, you know, whatever life brings, uh, family problems and anything else when you have a limited support network. And uh, and that sense sometimes that you're not, that, that where you are doesn't always feel like home. And just recently, I was talking actually with a student exactly about this, that 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 sense is is never quite there, that this is home. It's affecting everything else. Right. I think we we all need this. This really, again, going back to belonging, we need this sense of belonging to a community to feel encouraged to to be one of one of, you know, an integral part of this community. I would say that that the challenges could be um, around financial situation as well, that bringing much more significant stress and in multiple ways, you know, going from, you know, including concern about financial debt, concern about, you know, day to day uh, expenses and how I'm going to have, you know, uh, my needs met. And that, you know, is associated with sometimes having to look for more work, which you know, I mean, we're talking about already, you know, very busy students and having to work, have multiple jobs to provide an income. And oftentimes this is not only to to sustain oneself. Oftentimes there's a, um, a care about the ones that are at home, family at home and uh, continuing to to care for them and to want to provide for them in, in many ways. 
And uh, so this is another important layer contributing to stress. And I would say even something like, see, again, going back to social uh, uh, to support, you know, financial difficulties can, for example, prevent a student from affording to go visit home. You know, so meeting family or having family over, you know, and, and again, it's it's all so interconnected and affecting well-being in so many ways. So I, I see these disparities and of course they play out and they uh, in affecting academic performance as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that that's an important point. And, um, you know, we did a, sur- a survey, a study in, I believe, 2012, 2013 around specifically around LGBT student experience. And we were asking, um, we asked two big questions. One really about what is the the climate like here for LGBT students? And how do you think that that is impacting your academic experience there? And, and you know, some of the things that we found out was that the more, I guess, disconnected the student felt um, or the more um, potentially the environment felt hostile, the more withdrawn the student was, Mm -hmm. right? And so they didn't necessarily socialize with their colleagues. They didn't go to study groups because they were kind of really afraid of what might happen socially in those study groups. They were less likely to be participatory in classes, which will negatively impact their grade. They may be less likely to participate in student um, organizations, which limits leadership opportunities, but also the ability to do networking to find, you know, potential employment afterwards. So it, it just has this, you know, 360 kind of impact over every aspect of your life. And in addition to potentially being away from home and isolated um, familially as well as socially. And so um, these are all very real things, I think, that many students are grappling with. But for students who are coming from um, potentially marginalized or underrepresented backgrounds, there seems to be a kind of heightened sense of (laughs) intensity potentially in these feelings. So. So um, what are some of the things that our colleges um, can do to bring some awareness to this of these unique situations around specifically diversity and wellness? Maybe what are some of the things that you've done at Purdue and, you know, what wisdom, Luana, can you give us? What can we do? Great question. And I'm, I'm, that's work in progress, finding different answers and, and solutions to this um, because it's so complex. I'm happy to share uh, one, uh, something that a colleague of mine and I had started to, attempted to do, Dr. Uh, Colleen Cipriani. She's, um, she was the director of a diversity action committee and uh, she and I collaborated and um, because you know, she was on the diversity aspect of things. I'm a, a wellness representative, so to speak, in a college and, and we talked about, hey, let's because we both believed in, in these two really being married together. And uh, we decided we need to make this explicit in, in our college. And this is the way to make it alive, you know, to make diversity alive. And um, so we started having conversations with students. You know, we called those meetings professional development, you know, being mindful of, of needing to package in a way that, um, you know, would be attractive to students. Because yes, you know, there were some who said, you know, who reacted along the lines of, well, you know, I came here to learn medicine. Why do we need to talk about these things, you know? So uh, we started having 
conversation with students, like um, really inviting them to take a step back and reflect on how they carry conversations that present, you know, uh, challenges that invites, that gets them out of the comfort zone, that enlarges their perspective, that really honors diversity and how welcome they all feel, how the degree to which they feel they belong. So, um, and, and they were really, and still are very interesting conversations, rich, rich conversations. And, um, it's not an easy journey, you know, because it's, um, you know, people are hesitant to be transparent, uh, of course, and there are other students who mistrust the dialogues and, and they're not sure whether they can be safely uh, express their experience. So yes, we are stepping into this uncomfortable territory, but we, I think that we need to, you know, we need to do it. And yeah. um, so, yes, that's, that's what we started to do, just asking the students to think about how they live that, you know, what it looks like to be a diverse class and how they are holding that. And how is that really including everyone? And, you know, we also try to kind of help and, and support them. Maybe, you know, there are little teaching, guiding moments to help them, you know, express things in a way that, you know, honors their own experience, but also is considerate and empathic, you know, towards others. And I think this is, can be very, very helpful for students, you know, to have this kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's, that sounds, that sounds great to, to really kind of foster those kinds of conversations. I think that, that one of the biggest challenges for me in, in the history of at least my work and kind of promoting diversity and inclusion when folks say, well, yeah, but I mean, I just, I'm, I'm just here to practice medicine. I'm like, this will help you practice better medicine. I guarantee <laughs> if you can kind of figure out how to break down some of these walls, you know, there's, there's um, really great opportunities on the other side of the wall. Please, you know, really try to push through and, and kind of learn to engage and um, to find other ways of being collegial. I really appreciate this kind of, um, the kind of student to student dialogue that you all are, are promoting. And I mentioned that we've been doing some work around climate and, and you know, students are sadly <laughs> the primary uh, folks that, you know, that, that, that everyone is engaging and, and they are also the folks that students are reporting that students are the ones that are kind of the least empathetic with one another. Like they, that there is some shared misery. So that's, you know, <laughs> misery loves company. There's some of that. But in terms of problematic language um, around race, around gender, around sexuality, around gender identity, all of those kinds of things, students are reporting that they're hearing kind of that problematic or hostile language from their peers. And so the efforts to improve or even initiate some really kind of empathetic dialogue to kind of help bridge those gaps and reduce that type of friction and, and, and conflict, I think will certainly benefit everyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think, yes, you know, students talk very often about uh, microaggressions. They experience them very often. And I think what, what makes it very tricky is that, you know, they're often very subtle 
Yeah. And you have this package of, oh, it's just joking or, oh, you you know, students taking things too lightly, you know, and, and uh, makes it so, so challenging to confront that, you know, and to acknowledge it for what it is. Yeah, I mean, we we did a show some time ago on microaggressions, and and you know, one of the big challenges is oftentimes you feel icky in the moment, but you don't, you can't even unpack it right then <laughs> because sometimes you don't know, you know that it's not okay, but you can't exactly put your finger on why <laughs> until you know thirty minutes later, and and the moment for you know, resolution or conflict and resolution has long since passed, right? And so um, so then you're just kind of left with this feeling, this exclusion, exclusionary feeling. Yeah. So as we get ready to wrap up, I'm kind of curious about... I want to say one more thing. I want to... Absolutely. Okay. Regarding of what we can do as colleges, something, an aspect that's really, I think, really important culturally too, because we're talking about belonging and community. I think that cultivating more mentorship, and I emphasize mentorship, not advising, mentorship, which is, you know, uh, conducive to a much deeper connection and richer relationship. I think this is really, really important, especially for underrepresented students to help support that sense of belonging. And again, not just you know, a professor who meets and is asking, oh, how are you doing in school? Tell me your grades, you know, yeah. and, and I mean, which is, I mean, that's important too, part of that. Right. But no, I think mentorship is needed. Yeah. And I would love to see more training around that with faculty. And not just that, also, let's face it, you know, it's a, a veterinary profession is, is, you know, filled with, with you know, Lots of loads of work, right? And I think it's important systemically to think about how to create space for this kind of uh, for mentorship, for this kind of relationships, and to think about ways in which we can uh, reward this kind of engagement for faculty and staff to make it just as important as publication or you know a clinical work. I think it, and it has to start top to bottom, you know, to show this is important. You know, going back to, to uh, the statement you mentioned that you heard somebody made, you know, we're here to be, to practice medicine. I think it needs to start from top bottom to send the message. No, medicine is about who you are as well and how you connect with the people around you. Awesome. You, you you preempted my last question on what faculty can do. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, but I would actually extend that to, to certainly beyond um, just the, the college environment, but that there is a real need and desire for greater mentorship across the profession. And, um, and those, you know, those new and recent graduates um, still need mentorship as they enter the profession, as they leave the, the, the collegiate environment, which we, re- we recognize that that's still, um, it's a microcosm, but there's still a bit of a cloistered environment, um, you know, at vet school as well. And so, even in that transition um, out into the profession, there's still a real need for um, mentoring, good mentoring training. I'm glad that you mentioned that as well. Um, and kind of what does mentorship 
what should it look like? Um, what are the elements that it should should have? Um, and I think that that there's a real need for um, greater work around that, both for professionals as well as um, for mentees mm-hmm. as well, so that they learn eventually that they'll turn into mentors too. <laughs> One great uh, initiative uh, here at Produce, um, a so-called uh, diversity certificate uh, that entails, you know, a different, um, so a, a teaching component, educational component, going through modules that when one can learn about different cultures and, and, and different uh, populations, and um, they uh, also have the required to participate in activities that will engage them actively that would help them acquire, you know, have a lived experience, a group of individuals who are different from themselves and uh, volunteer activity as well. And um, after which they they are granted uh, this certificate. I think it's a really great, great initiative. And I I hope again that um, many faculty and staff will be encouraged to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So um, I'm so glad that you brought that up, that do, that the Purdue Veterinary Medicine has their kind of the, the certificate program, I think, that that a lot of people know about in the Center for Diversity and Inclusion, um, the Center of Excellence, which is um, that particular certificate program is available um, to everyone in the profession. But within the college, as a part of the alongside the curriculum, students are able to take you all have, I guess it's, is it called, still called the diversity key? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. diversity key program, which is the certificate program. And, and um, so Purdue students are able to even get that, they get that certificate, but they also have that designation as a part of their DVM degree, which is just really incredible and, and um, a unique uh, program at, at Purdue. So folks, check that out. If you're an applicant, you might also, if you're interested in these issues, there, there's, your uh, your Purdue plug, but there's certainly other programs at other uh, colleges of veterinary medicine. So be sure to to check them all out. So great. Any parting advice for not only students but faculty leaders and and veterinary professionals who may be listening in? I would say that I would just encourage everyone to to take time to think about to to reflect on on their daily experience and and about you know their presence about how how they relate to others trying to stay mindful of of that i think that's where it all starts i you know with asking oneself you know how how was today you know and um how did that conversation really go that i just had earlier you know and um I wonder how that came across, you know, and um, also remembering maybe to check in with with the other person that they had the conversation with or that they interacted with, maybe to revisit if they feel that, you know, that exchange could have gone differently, you know, or if they have some questions about whether whatever it is that they, they do or they say comes across. It starts with, with oneself. So I, I think that's, you know, we talked about, which is all, so important, you know, systemic approaches and, and, and you know, how, what we do as a group, but to not forget to do that. Starts with the person in the mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, be reflective. I mean, I think that it's just, um, and in this day and age, just taking time to be reflective is really hard. <laughs> 
you're looking at timelines wherever, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all of those types of things. And, you know, there's tickers at the bottom of your news screen. And so it's really, really hard. But um, I think that that's great advice to to just take some take a take a few beats to reflect on how you engage with one another. And if there's an issue, it's OK to go back and revisit it. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on the uh, the show. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule. Oh, I'm so happy to 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 be in this conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a great opportunity. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So this is another episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Actually, this is our final episode for season three. We will be taking the summer months off. Don't worry, we've got some episodes in the can. So we will still be um, putting out great content um, as we take a little time off to plan season four. Thank you so much again, Dr. Nam, for joining us. I really appreciate it. And to everyone else, uh, again, be reflective, be kind. Be sure to check out back episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to take a look at uh, us on Facebook, where we are AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast page. Thanks so much. And we will see you in the fall. Thank you.